time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. It's our first Sunday of the month, so I have a millennial roundtable, but an extremely well-informed millennial roundtable. I have joining me tonight, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I have Grant Wolf and Drew Wicker. They're both SMU leaders of Young America's Foundation, Young Republicans. They are just activists on campus. And so... I always, because it's a very short segment, top of the second hour is whatever it is, short. So we always have just a quick question. Everybody gets about two minutes to answer. And I just want to, you know, we've been talking about Obamacare, and we're going to talk a little more about what the left has had to say about the effort to repeal Obamacare. But there was a Newsweek writer this week, Kurt Eichenwald. He actually works for Vanity Fair, too. He tweeted that he hoped members of the GOP who voted for the Obamacare repeal and their families would get sick and die. And there's also a mailing out from the Indivisibles, the left-wing extremists who are just trying to disrupt everything that the Republican Congress is doing. Um, they have a mailing out in which they are, it's an all-out assault in the GOP with false messaging such as Republicans gutted protections for pre-existing conditions um, and calling Trump care a moral mon- monstrosity. So I'm just, you know, I, I read this stuff and I'm such a serious wonk that I, I just can dismiss it as idiotic, but it actually makes me concerned because, and I guess the thing I want to ask you guys is, so you're in college and you're very connected in your, in your campus, SMU. Do you think the idea is settling in in the minds of young people in this precious, formerly free country that health care really is the government's job? Are, 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 has the Democrat Party been successful in, in convincing young people pretty much the government's got to take care of health care? What do you say? You know, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that what the left has been very successful in— and you know, the Democrats have been very successful in is demonizing the GOP and the ideas that we have. And they paint us as being perfectly against something, but never for anything. And so they basically, they make this very morally convincing case for, oh, you know, we need to protect people that have pre-existing conditions. We need to help people that can't help themselves. They don't deliver a message of empowerment as much as they say these people can't help themselves. So the government has to step in or else these evil people will you know, destroy their lives. And that's kind of the message that I think resonates with a lot of millennials is this idea of, you know, uh, it's, it's people that feel as though they're always constantly under attack and they identify with that because, you know, that it's, it's always easier to feel victimized than to actually go out and do something to do the research about it, to learn about the issues and to figure out what's actually going to be best for your fellow man. And I think that that's something that millennials in particularly really struggle with, and they feel the strong moral case whenever it's framed in the way that the Democrats have made it. So victim messaging works with young people. I'm Absolutely. sorry to hear that. Bad answer. No, I'm glad to know that. Grant, what do you think about this? You know, it's funny. You ask, are people buying this idea? I'll tell you we're doing our darndest on campus to make sure they don't. But I think millennials, as Drew was mentioning, suffer from an unfortunate tendency uh, to resign themselves to binarisms, that it's either for or against, uh, and not understanding the complexities of issues because it's harder to do the research and understand. And it feels morally uh, gratifying to, to try to stand up against something that's being categorized in the public eye as evil or racist or, uh, or unpopular. Uh, but I think and I was going to mention this about Obamacare, in particular, the the requirement for insurance companies to allow people to stay on their, their parents' plans until they're 26. I think a lot of people see that as an absolution 
of responsibility to even understand the issue in, at the first place until they until it actually affects them. <laughs> I think the the problem for a lot of young people is that they simply are insulated enough not to have to care about some of these issues, and then they feel the moral compulsion due to Facebook and other things to make statements and jump on bandwagons of political and popular opinions without any actual informational understanding. So our goal on campus is to really bring to light the details and the workings of all of these issues and to make people recognize that it's it's not just taking a stand on one side or the other, but it's about what are the principles at play? What actually empowers people? We agree on a lot of things, on, on outcomes that we would like to see left and right, but we disagree about how to get there. And, and having discussions about the mechanics and facilitating uh, discussion so that people can actually understand before taking a, a moral or emotional stand on something, that is what's going to turn the tide, I think, in the favor of conservatism because the truth is on our side. Grant, when you say we, you're talking about what Young America's Foundation does, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, I, I mean, okay. the whole conservative coalition on campus. Okay. I think people should be insulted to be told they're victims. That's how I feel. Someone treats me as a victim. But you had something else, too. Please, Drew. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I hate that we that they message people and tell them that they're victims. And I think that that's where the GOP and conservatives have an opportunity. And this is what I was wanting to discuss, oh, actually. Okay. So this works out well. <laughs> um, you know, I think that this is a huge opportunity that we need to st- – we need to seek out and that we need to really capitalize on. We have a message of empowerment. We have the conservative heart and we need to promote that. We need to communicate that. And it's something that we will win on provided that we can give that message to them. I love that. Instead of, we think you're a victim and helpless. We, we believe in you. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the message I would like believe in to, America. Yeah, yeah. We believe in America. We believe in you and your ability to, to make your way. You don't, we, you know, we don't think of you as helpless. I've always thought that I don't understand why the left gets so far with that messaging. Okay. This is a short segment. As I mentioned, we come back from this break. I want to tell you something. Nancy Pelosi said, simply astonishing. She needs to move to Venezuela and I will buy her a ticket. Don't go away. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in health care, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. And welcome back. I'm so glad you're listening to America Can We Talk. Um, and I have my Millennial Right View Roundtable, my Millennial Roundtable, because it's first Sunday of the month. So we're going to talk a little <coughs> bit about um, free speech. You know, we had this, we were talking in the previous little segment about this uh, Newsweek writer who tweeted out, you know, that he hopes the GOP dies. So, you know, he's blathering away, talking about his, um, you know, he's so angry about Obamacare that, uh, repeal or the potential for Obamacare repeal that he feels free to express speech, essentially saying everyone who doesn't agree with me should die. 
That's kind of what he's saying. Everyone who didn't vote how I went. So then transitioning, a beautiful little segue, to what's happening on America's campuses. I want to talk a little bit about, we, and we were talking in the break, too, about this. But, you know, and we have other weeks in the show talked about the danger of losing the right of free speech in America. And it's odd because... Berkeley uh, in California was the the birth, really, of the free speech movement and the whole notion that every view should be expressed and freely expressed and people shouldn't be afraid to say what they think. But then, you know, we've had, as we've discussed in the show before, we had Ann Coulter shut down, could not speak there. And um, we've had uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, how do we say his name? Um, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not. No one can say my last name either. Okay, uh, but but um, and it's also Greek. But um, he uh, was shut down and couldn't speak. And I, you know, this is a really. It's you can get kind of you know frustrated about it and think, geez, campuses are a mess. But you know, you talk about how countries change. And over time, you will we look back at this era and say, wow, we just bought into the argument that because speech might hurt someone's feelings, it just should that that shouldn't be included in free speech, which is a lot of the argument that some of the leftists are saying that we're offended by conservative views. We're offended by strong border advocates or we're offended by people who think we should have free markets. So th- this whole free speech thing is, is stirring around on campus. And one of the defenses we want to talk about this particular issue one of the defenses campuses have been raising as well, you know, but these conservative speakers, they raise security issues. This is why Ann Coulter had to be invited to speak. She was reinvited to come back to Berkeley, like on, it wasn't spring break, it was reading days, but it was when no one was there because otherwise there's security risk. And so I think on the break, Grant was saying you had something you were going to say about that, right? Yeah, I think this really reveals how free speech is not a priority for these universities because they are willing to equivocate the violence that is being threatened and in some cases actually perpetrated by leftist agitators against conservatives. It it is not happening in the other direction currently. They are willing to equivocate conservatives offering their opinions on potentially divisive issues with that violence. That is the most absurd thing that the Democratic Party and the leftists on campus are have ever propagated. They, it is not violence to espouse a politically different opinion. It is violence to threaten to riot, assault, and potentially kill those who express speech who dis, uh, express speech that is different from your own. That is absolutely absurd. So the security issue is being created by the leftists who don't want to have to listen to anything, but it's being blamed on the conservatives who are speaking. Yeah, and yeah. that equivocation is being bought up in the media. You look at any – even in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, you hear conservative speakers characterized as security concerns because of their different opinions. Th- that is a sad commentary on the state of free speech on college campuses in the United States. Okay, and on that, it, it is. It's ridiculous, and that is coming from the administration and even from local police departments. is too big a security risk. The other really odd aspect of all this – and, and um, I, I actually do a different radio show where we had a big, long conversation about this, but we have not in this show yet, is the growing belief among college left-wingers that they are so morally superior in their views on every issue that they really are – they're coming around to saying there is no free speech right to talk about things that I don't like. This this was a letter uh, written to, by a Berkeley student into the Daily Californian – and this is a, a third-year transgen- transgender transfer student at UC Berkeley, Juna 
Juniper Angelica, I can't even say the full name, Juniper Angelica is the first name, and um, is, uh, wrote, but wrote a thing essentially saying, the concept that America is great because of our ability to share perspectives and differing opinions, that UC Berkeley is beautiful because we can discuss and organize with opposite sides of the political spectrum, are BS. Claiming and said that free speech sustains institutional structures of oppression. So if you, because she's, uh, this argument is being made, this has been done nothing. This has done nothing more than maintain the white supremacist, capitalistic, patriarchal nature that allowed colonizers to protect their power centuries ago, and has allowed their descendants to elect an openly racist, queerphobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic, anti-poverty administration. What they're saying is they're so morally superior in their views that they really are saying the administration should shut down people. Whether they protest or whether they're protesters or not, simply because a view shouldn't be allowed to be expressed. Yeah, it's the argument in of itself is absolutely ridiculous. For one thing, he's saying that you know we're so morally superior because we knew all these things beforehand, and you know we you know we're pro gay and blah, blah blah and all these different arguments. Well, if that's really the case, and it was what sustained these horrible traditions for millennia then why are they not in place anymore? It's the, re- the reason is because that the arguments that they had behind them had fallacies. The whole idea, the whole premise of college, the whole idea of education is this idea of the pursuit of truth. SMU's Latin logo just says, the truth will make you free. And I love that because it means that we're supposed to, the, the university has a responsibility to promote the discussion and the pursuit of truth on campus for college students and you have to be able to facilitate that and to do that you have to have discussion and that's why i'm a free speech absolutist that's why we have that enshrined in the first amendment it's because if you have a better idea if you're right you can beat me with your own ideas if you can't even engage me with those ideas you don't have a winning idea yeah. absolutely and i love your free speech absolutist because there was a, uh, an issue at, at auburn or one of the more southern schools alabama where uh somebody wanted to come in who was a a, a very open white supremacist and um they uh, did you follow this case so the, the guy wanted to come speak and uh, he was invited to some campus and they tried to ban him and whoever brought him went to it and got a federal district court judge ruling that said you can't ban him because of his speech which I it's like that old adage from law school about, you know, uh, tough cases make bad law and all that. But, you know, I want to defend to the death his right to say something which I simply abhor. So he came. Right. He gave the speech. Hardly anybody came. He was roundly, you know, booed. Not dis- there was not disruptively, but I mean, people were waving signs and denouncing mm-hmm. him it was exactly the right way to denounce something like that. You know, they always say that politics makes for strange bedfellows. I think the most stunning example of this is you look at the agreement from President Obama and from Bernie Sanders with those who would support free speech, particularly at the, <laughs> in, at the Berkeley incident. At, at the very least, some on the left are willing to recognize that as soon as we start shutting down civil dialogue, we have lost the foundation of democracy and republicanism. And I'm encouraged at the very least to see that some on the left will acknowledge that, and we've seen even some 
who had subscribed to leftism on our campus join with our conservative coalition to help enshrine free speech at SMU. But it's something we always have to be watchful for because, again, like Drew mentioned, the foundation of education and civil society is the pursuit of truth. And as soon as you lose the ability to do that, you have lost the foundation of your society. Amen. And on top of that, Berkeley, I meant to mention to you guys, I can't remember if I sent you this link or not, but there was a person who was commentating essentially about Berkeley and how, you know, they don't let conservatives come. They've actually had radical Islamist speakers on Berkeley's campus who defended Osama bin Laden. Yep. Okay. You know what? I, I mean, I, I'm all for it. Let him come and say whatever it is he said. I can't imagine what he, how he defended that. But then, okay, so that was just a case of you can have that in, but you can't have Ann Coulter, who's just kind of sharp-tongued. I mean, you know, she's not, but, I mean, whatever she wanted to say, they couldn't talk. Okay, a minute and a half here. I want to mention the case that happened at Santa Cruz. We were talking University of California at Santa Cruz, which has always been like the one school in the UC system, maybe more leftist even than Berkeley, kind of like way out there. Okay, but UC Santa Cruz, they had a black uh, student group group took over a building and they were negotiating they weren't going to leave the school the the building and they brought in food they were going to live there until the school listened to their demands and instead of saying you know if you don't leave by five o'clock we're gonna have you arrested for trespass and you're gonna spend the night in jail they let them do that they let them occupy they had a negotiation they ultimately agreed with the demands of this organization, which essentially was they were demanding housing for all, all black housing painted. They wanted the building painted on the outside, the colors of the, um, it was the African Black Student Alliance, occupied the building for three days, finally got everything they want, including a, a building just for them, painted on the outside of the colors of the uh, struggle for uh, against apartheid, I think it was. It was it black, red, and green colors? I mean, the, the university hook, line, and sinker gave them everything they asked for. And this, my friends, is not a way to encourage dialogue with young people. It's a way to encourage further demands. Debbie Georgiatis, America Coming Talk. We come back after the break. I forgot to go back to Nancy Pelosi. Okay, we got sidetracked. We're going to talk about Pelosi, what she had to say. We are buying her ticket to Venezuela. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit Texas policy.com to learn more texans have a long tradition of independence and we don't like being told what to do especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away that's why for 30 years the dallas-based institute for policy innovation has fought washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom 
IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back. I'm so glad you joined us on American Can We Talk and join my Right View Roundtable. Um, I swear we're going to get to why Nancy Pelosi needs to be, uh, per- we need to purchase a one-way ticket to Venezuela. But before we do that, I want to go back one more thing, this college protesters. So a lot of these people are paid, these protesters, and not just in the college campus protests, but the Ferguson protesters, many of the Black Lives Matter movement protesters, uh, protesters all over the country where at the Trump rallies during the election where people watch and they think, my gosh, there's thousands of people protesting. And I, we were saying in the break, I think it makes some people say, what am I missing? Maybe I'm wrong. If they're so riled up, I mean, how, you know, maybe some, I'm not thinking about this right. But anyway, so a lot, it has come to light that many of these people are paid protesters, paid by George Soros and his Open Society Foundation or, or some of the other creepy left-wing whack job organizations that he funds. But a guy in the Washington Post actually wrote a piece arguing 
so what if the protesters are paid? I mean, he's really, I mean, I think the left didn't like to have that knowledge out there that these people are actually paid. They're not, you know, when you go, if any of you listening ever go protest, and my husband and I, who are, and like, we're both serious grown up lawyers. We have, you know, we have jobs. We don't have, we don't do things like this, but we went to Washington. We went to Washington to protest. uh, That was, what year was that? September 2009. It was over Obamacare and it was over the uh, the bailouts. And we actually went to a protest. We've never done it in our whole lives. That whole Tea Party and the, the rise of the Tea Party was organic from the heart Americans. A lot of you from the left are paid protests. But this guy's saying, so what? So what do you think? Does it really make any difference if they're paid or not? You know, I really don't think that it does. And here's why. I think that if you're having to pay people to come out to propagate your views then you have a serious problem with your views connecting with the regular person your views should motivate people to go out there on their own because they should be buying into it and they should be promoting those views if you're having to pay people that's just a sad state of affairs and if they're in that position i'm completely fine with it only thing is i wish people knew i mean when you see these masses outside of trump rallies i mean i used to I, i you know he wasn't my first choice in the primary although i'm you know i'm kind of pretty good with a lot of things he's done and some i don't like but you know i would watch all these people and think what the heck are they protesting i mean honestly (laughs) i think the referendum on whether or not that was effective for the left really was the presidential election you look at the states that trump won that republicans had not people didn't buy the public image or the front that the left was putting up so i say let them have at it as long as they don't commit violence I mean, uh, the right to protest is enshrined in the Constitution. However, I don't think it's going to do them any good long term because they're winning the. They're, I'm sorry, they're losing the public opinion battle. They are. They're losing the the political argument in America. I mean, when I say, well, does it matter? I don't. I mean, yes, I am very much in support of the First Amendment and the right to protest and the right to do, you know, uh, to get out there. And if someone pays you, that's none of my business. But I do think I'd love to have that more widely known. This is not authentic. It's not organic. It's not from the heart. Protest. Okay. So finally, I'm going to tell you why Nancy Pelosi needs to move to Venezuela. Okay. So Venezuela, in a tragic, I mean, just tragic circumstances of the level of true poverty, actual starvation level poverty happening in Venezuela today, right now as we speak, there are protests and, you know, it's entirely the starvation there is due to socialism. Venezuela has massive oil reserves Venezuela was formerly exporting 70% of their farm produce. This was a productive country, but the idea of socialism took root at the national level, and then it took root. And so what, where we end up now is when people are protesting, what they're really, they go out and they say is, give us more food. Find a way to make sure we have what we know. And I'll tell you how bad it is in Venezuela. It is three in four Venezuelans lost weight last year, an average of 19 pounds. They joke and call it the Maduro diet, meaning the, the socialist leader. The government owns the socialism in, in Venezuela. Government owns basically everything. There's you know, strict price controls. They have government-run health care, currency controls. Um, One-third of Venezuelans, that's 9.6 million people, have two or fewer meals a day. I mean, a third of the people don't even get three meals a day. 11% of the children are severely at a lethal, fatal level malnourished. 11%. 20% are chronically, 20% of the children under five years old are chronically malnourished. There's no food. Yeah. And the thing is about socialism, it's not just 
it, it's proof that government cannot run an economy. They cannot run the means of production, which was the original pure idea of socialism, is government owning and running the means of production. But that what sinks in, which is just devastating, is the whole country. And that they have some leaders trying to bring up, raise these issues, trying to inspire some new thought. But the whole country kind of is at a standstill. The farmers can't buy this, get the seeds to plant things. Everyone steals from the farms if they do manage to produce anything because nobody has any food. The government-run stores are empty. Nobody, and and there's no, I'm getting at is what socialism does, it creates a a helpless, dependent masses in your country where people don't think of themselves as self-reliant, of having any way out of this, except for finding something else the government can, can somehow give it to them. And this is the most evil thing of socialism, besides that it produces profound misery and poverty and starvation and suffering, is that people lose the spirit that we in this country have been known for, that self-reliant, can-do, upbeat, American, free market spirit. This is why America solves problems of all kinds in the world. We see a problem, and we find we have industries competing to solve it. And so what I, the reason why Nancy Pelosi has to move to Venezuela is what her argument was this week. Her argument against the Obamacare repeal effort, which hasn't even you know passed the Senate, but her argument was the Republicans are trying to save money in Obamacare because they need to pay for the tax cuts to the rich that they want to give. So she's talking about, if you read her language, what she's saying is all the money in the country belongs to the government. Every dollar you earn when you went out and worked and you worked hard and you got a paycheck and you put your paycheck in your bank, all the money in the world belong in the country belongs to the government. And the government is going to be nice maybe and decide how much of it you can keep. But she's talking about the reason that she's talking about talking about American people, taxpayers, from the perspective of saying essentially that she considers your money her money. And she'll let you know what you can have of it. This is a socialist mindset so deeply embedded in her simple-minded left-wing mind, she doesn't even recognize it anymore. She, that's how she thinks about health care. It's got to come from the government, and money belongs to the government, and they decide who gets it. And this is truly the most profoundly, deeply un-American thought, and that was a long monologue. Go ahead, Mr. Grant. I think you know the left has talked for a long time about f- examples of socialism not being true socialism. I think Venezuela presents one of the finest case studies in modern political history <laughs> to look at what is actually you, you have government price controls, you have government ownership of means of production and the result is mass starvation and and loss of flourishing. I think American leftists need to take a long and hard glance at what is happening in Venezuela and young people in particular. I think this this presents an opportunity for us as conservatives on campus to point to look the the moral and um, political conclusions of socialist philosophy implemented in civil governance, that is what happens. Do you want the United States of America in the long term to look like what Venezuela looks like now? And I think that will then provide a very stark contrast to the rosy vision of socialism that is presented by the likes of Bernie Sanders. You need to, you need to, to direct people's attention to the equal sharing of misery – I believe it was Winston Churchill who said that is happening in Venezuela at the moment. I love that. And, you know, I had the thought um, I 
about the subject of the Obamacare effort to repeal, because Obamacare is at its core, it's a form of socialism. It's not straight-out socialized medicine, because, I mean, that's what the left wants. When they say single-payer, when Obama and Pelosi and all the leftists say they want uh, single-payer, they mean socialized medicine. They mean the government controlling it all. And the reason Venezuela is suffering starvation is exactly the same reasons that Obamacare is failing in America. All the it's not just the economic precepts are faulty and 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 just evil and wrong, but it is also the mindset that sets in the American people. We've had Obamacare seven years. You'd think that we were somehow announcing we were going to starve small children when we're saying we're going to try to repeal, pull back on this government-controlled health care. We're going to try to restore a, 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 you know, a healthy, uh, you know, vibrant insurance industry that is able to craft policies based on the needs of individuals and offer numerous policies. And we believe in the American people's ability to shop for, for those policies, to compare policies and decide what they want covered, what they're willing to take a risk, what they can afford to pay. All all those those kind of natural belong in the American spirit, the American economy, and the American uh, you know culture. This just in the seven years of Obamacare, Democrats have managed to convince American Americans to think that they're being deprived of something because the government's not going to fix it and take care of it and provide it for you. This is the most unhealthy undermining of the can-do American spirit imaginable. We come back and talk about it a little bit more, and then I want to turn to what's happening the good news in England. Don't go away. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. 
Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Welcome back. I, this is, as I always say, the fastest two hours of my week. I can't believe we're in our last little segment. And it's really um, often the funnest two hours of my week. I really enjoy it. But um, before we launch off in this last segment, I want to thank our sponsor for the show. Uh, we have a sponsor named GC Works. They're a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. So very grateful for GC Works for sponsoring the show. Okay, so I want to uh, wrap up a little bit. Um, we, we've jumped around a, a little bit, but on this whole business of Nancy Pelosi and her characterization characterization of the effort to repeal Obamacare, I think it's really, I mean, especially with the backdrop of the failure in, of socialism in Venezuela, the misery in Venezuela, you know, this is a, a dot-connecting time if we had conservatives savvy to do it i mean to be able to connect those dots and, and and inspire people to think about health care um not just in a what do i have now and is the government going to give me something better or is the government going to take it away but versus what is it i need what what are the kind of suppliers i need i mean there's a, a great argument to be made in many cases that some people are better off without insurance they they are able to pay for the care they want they can negotiate what they want insurance just another cost but this whole notion of, of a um a society where in Venezuela it's just a massive, a mass of victims, helpless victims, 
And this is really how Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats speak to Americans about health care. You're just victims. You couldn't possibly navigate through the purchase of insurance, the understanding and choices of insurance, the uh, health care you need. And so we just we're kind of back. We were talking earlier about the whole victim mentality. I just find the whole attitude of the left about Obamacare is, is just really it's telling Americans you're so helpless. And yet on the one hand, I'm thinking, yeah, and some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. I feel like it's a it's an incumbent on elected officials, other leaders, to speak up, to re-inspire Americans, to feel like, yeah, we're in favor of free markets, and we want to instill that self-reliant, can-do American spirit again in America. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that conservatives have to go back to a fundamental understanding of why we do what we do and why we believe the things that we do, and we have to give people an alternative that makes sense to them. And the thing is, we have to connect with the population of the United States in a way that we've never been able to before and offer a hopeful alternative that most people just don't see us offering right now. They, we've been successfully pictured and depicted as these horrible people who just, you know, who want people dying in the streets. And that's a quote, you know, and I think that we need to be able to take back that moral high ground of we want what's best for people. and We want to empower you. We want to empower your choices and we do that because we believe that that's what's best for everybody, and we believe that you will only reach your full potential whenever the government gets the heck out of the way. And I think also, I'm so glad Tom Giovanetti was here earlier tonight uh, from IPI talking about, you know, whenever you make a change in a law that was grossly imperfect to start with Obamacare, but you really, you open the possibility of people criticizing a change you're making, and so now the left is trying to claim, well, they're taking, Republicans are going to take away protection for pre-existing conditions. They're going to take away this guarantee and this right and all. And, and much of what they're saying is just completely false. But we, they, we have become so pummeled by it that this is why I think you have Republicans in the Senate and some of them in the Tuesday group in the House House, they were kind of more on the side of the Democrats. They, they, they had, they either don't understand or they're afraid to advocate for the freedoms that would that would come for, for, for the free market ideas that would make healthcare better for everybody. I want to uh, bring up something that uh, Carly Fiorina said when she came to SMU to speak recently. She talked about the the job of a leader being to unlock the inherent potential within every individual. And I think that underscores the important foundation of the conservative message that every individual, as a someone who has been made in the image of God and is a human being with a mind and with a conscience and with the ability to think, has the potential to do great things with their life if only the restrictions that the government has placed upon American society by and large, are removed, and they are allowed to exercise their potential. And I think that is what you need leaders in Washington to be saying. That's what you need local politicians to be saying. And that's what you need our groups on campus across the country to be messaging as conservatism to the, the people of the United States that we are the party of hope, That and it's true hope. It's not unfounded. That we we freedom presents opportunity to unlock what is within you as potential and to succeed, you are responsible for your destiny, not anyone else. And if we can message that successfully, I think we will attract a lot of people who believe in those same things but don't understand them. Yeah, I, I just want to tack on to that real quick. Carly Fiorina, yes, she was at our campus a couple of weeks ago, and she said one quote that has always stuck with me ever since I heard it. She said, 
that her mother told her that what God has made you is his gift to you. What you make of your life is your gift to God. And I think that we really have to get back to a fundamental understanding as conservatives. That's where our roots are. And the the fact is that every single time we allow government to encroach on our lives and allow elites to decide from very far away who we are and who we're going to be and what we're going to do with our lives, we're just giving away the potential that we have endowed by us, by our creator. And the second that we start giving that away is the second that we start getting complacent. It's the second that we start moving away from the exceptionalism that we've had flourishing in this world for the past 200 years, particularly in this nation. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm glad you said all that. I was going to add two other points. Um, Every time there is discussion among conservatives about free markets and inspiring the individual and making the best of their lives and giving them a potential to move forward— I know there's some people listening thinking, but what about those, you know, who are mentally or physically disabled? What about the people who just can't care for themselves? And, you know, I don't know how to say it anymore clearly, but there has been no health care proposal by anyone in Congress, anyone in America that says we're going to just abandon the mentally and physically disabled. I mean, it's in America. We have always cared for these people. We always will. And this is not a something that's even on the table. The idea that somehow if that we are going to abandon the needs of the extremely poor, um, who cannot purchase needed health care, or the mentally or physically disabled, uh, or the infirm and the elderly infirm. We've never, ever, ever, I mean, all those are givens, but that is part of what the left does when they try to to attack the inspiring of the by the conservatives of causing people, inspiring people to believe in themselves. Oh, well, you're, you're going to leave them out and them out. This is terrible. You can't do that. I mean, we're talking about the vast majority of Americans who are either going to be inspired to re-embrace um, a, a notion of self-reliance, responsibility, pursuing their health care needs to, um, in, you know, to the extent possible through their own doing. And a government says that, that is always going to be there and use tax dollars the way it should be for those truly and we're not we're going to have a safety net we always have what you have the left has done is transformed the vast majority of americans into people rocking in the safety net that is their goal the weaker you feel the more dependent you feel the more they know you'll vote democrat i think even the exception case that you mentioned about people who have disabilities and the the fact that they in america can can still go to an emergency room or to a hospital and receive care if they're in dire need, still points to the exceptional nature of American society. Um, Because you look at a lot of those hospitals like St. Jude's and others that are the product of private donation and private investment that is made possible by the success achieved by individuals through free markets and through through individual determination of destiny – even even in the case that is the exception that the left tries to break conservatism on still is a point of proof in its favor and i think that that's i think that's interesting well, I really do, too. And, you know, there are a lot of studies that you're, you talk about the role of private donations and charity. You know, America has been historically, and I, I do it every year when they do the, the big uh, survey, America has historically has been forever the most generous country on earth. And generosity, in part, comes from abundance. You can be generous when you have something to be generous with. I mean, people point to communist countries not being very generous, but 
They don't have any money. I mean, the, the people don't have any money. The prosperity of America enables generosity, and the spirit of America has always, since its founding, been a, a, a nation of people who just, you know, we because we don't expect the government to take care of us, we look out for each other. It's, it's a common feel in American communities and society, just our notion that we, we care for each other. And the more government grows, the more government, it, it takes care of people, the more that feeling in the private sector dies away. And I mean, there's studies that show this, that people who, in fact, I've talked to people who say, well, I used to give to that, but the government takes care of that, so I don't bother anymore. We want to be more connected as an American society as we feel we're in charge of taking care of each other. Okay, we only have two minutes left. I just want to say... After our much previous discussion about the outcome of the election in France, going back to France, but just want to say, you know, they're on a path apparently to be pretty okay with tolerating Islamic uh, terror, not doing much to stop it. And by contrast, what is really cool is what's happening in England, and that is that the— Theresa May, the prime minister, called for an election earlier than she had to. So the election, I think, is June 8th. They had the date. Yeah, June 8th. And this is great because she's cementing her power as a conservative. She's on track to win. I don't have the numbers right here. Oh, yeah. She's she's at 46 to 30 percent over her opponent. So the point being, she's cementing not just her power, but the conservative ideas behind the Brexit, behind getting out of their European Union, you know, rejecting the globalization idea, rejecting control of their country by the EU and saying, no, we're going to take our country back. We're going to be England again. We're going to control our own borders. We're going to set our immigration policy. Why she had to do this, because the the actual negotiations upcoming between England and the EU, uh, are, are they're starting, I think, this summer, I don't know when, this fall. She's got a serious negotiating job to to extract them from the EU. And what she's really saying is, you know, I want, I want to be negotiating from a position of strength. Okay, we're out of time in my funnest two hours um, every week. I want to thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk and also urge you, to uh, number one, go to the American Can We Talk Facebook page. We have lots and lots of interaction going. Love to have you comment there. We're Facebook live streaming every week. Go to our website, AmericanCanWeTalk.org. Uh, we have new posts up all the time. Love to have you join us there. Um, and follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. I love talking with all of our listeners. And you can always call in to our comment line, 214-556-5659. To leave a comment, tune to America Can We Talk. We talk truth about America. Talk to you in a week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.